The following is a Feltnout production. To find out more, visit feltnout.co.uk. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary friends, welcome to episode four of Time Travel. Today, we're going to travel back to the 1800s to talk about a time period where, uh, 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 surprisingly, I think shockingly almost, the Northeast and Newcastle particularly made such a big contribution to the abolitionist movement uh, and to, to civil rights in the future, where I think it kind of flips a lot of the stereotypes people have about the Northeast, and particularly Newcastle being white and racist and so on and so forth. And, 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 and I'm, I'm here with my co-host... Uh, I, 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 I'm a Geordie bloke, uh, and I, I don't defend statues. Uh, can I just say <laughs> that now? Uh, get your stereotypes out there, sitting there in my tune top, coming in from defending the statue. I'm the, the one statue. sat in the tune no, top, yeah. tune I've top. even got my Newcastle United ring on. Um, <laughs> and we were just talking about the fights I used to get in as a kid for no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah, um, we both stopped an early age fighting. This is stop. probably bonus stuff. Uh, bonus stuff. I think if, if you could uh, genuinely find, uh, if, if you had to pick between two of us who's more high culture, I think I'd probably side with... with with Michael Milligan, teacher, uh, professor, historian, extraordinaire. G. So if you if you ever have ADHD and think I can't amount to anything, well you're probably right because look at those two knackers here <laughs> in, the, in the microphones. Yeah, but anyway, keep me overdraft because I decided to pay over the odds for a Newcastle United uh, Carabao Cup final ticket that we will probably lose. Anyway, coming back to the original uh, uh, subject, uh, uh, we're talking about uh, emancipation, civil rights. Do you, do you know much? About it, Mike. Um, I read it a bit because um, I knew a bit. Right. I tell you. I tell you how I discovered it because I think it's quite an interesting story. Right. You're never boring, big man. Oh, thank you very kindly. But uh, in 2011, um, I think it was the Christmas holidays, my second year at uni. I'm sat at home at my old family house in the Freeman Hospital, and Kanye West, not so much in vogue anymore, but quite in vogue then. Is that before he went weird? Before he, you know, was, you know... Not the fascist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that. Before he'd done that, he probably was back then, but he was keeping it under the wraps, as, at least. He'd released an album with a still somewhat in vogue, Jay-Z, called Watch the Throne. Uh, for people of my generation, 2011, banger after banger after banger, sold out several arenas around Europe and the US. Uh, they had famous songs such as... People in Paris. <laughs> and they had a particular song called We Made It in America, right? Now, this song, it went along the lines of sort of... Uh, they'd list civil rights heroes. And they would say, uh, Dear sweet Martin, dear sweet Malcolm, dear sweet Rosa, we made it in America. And basically just thanking all of their sort of black ancestors who uh, were involved in civil rights struggles that allowed them to be musicians um, and live their lives freely and become the success stories, yeah. at least in Jay-Z's case still, <laughs> that we see today and with Kanye that we saw back then. Now, having this ADHD, I got very into this. I started like Wikipedia and oh, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks. What was the full story? What actually happened on this bus? Who was Malcolm X? Who was? And then, you know, it's like you get stuck in the wormhole. So then I'm going further. Well, Martin, he based a lot of his work on, on this black philosopher, Malcolm. So before them, they had this guy called Frederick Douglass. That was the first name. So I click on Frederick Douglass in this wormhole. And I'm reading about Frederick Douglass. He's a runaway slave. He's meant to be so 
literate, that uh, and eloquent, that that because he was taught to read and write at a young age, right. where a lot of slaves naturally weren't. But uh, he moved to a farm when he was quite young, and he was taught this 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 uh, by this his new owner's wife had never really kept slaves before and was as a result very nice to him as a child and taught him to read um, and then when the the husband found out his owner he put an immediate stop to this and, and in frederick's autobiography he says word for word um that as soon as he found out he said if you if you teach him to read it'll ruin any good insert n-word basically saying the sooner you teach him to read the sooner he learns to read, the sooner he will never, ever be a slave. And Frederick Douglass states himself that I owe my freedom as much to the kindness of my master's wife as to the the prohibition of my wow. master. Because upon hearing that, I knew this was my pathway to freedom. And I set my mind to making sure I finished my studies. And he convinced the kids in the farms and the plantation, the white kids that he played with sometimes where he lived, to teach him to read on the sly. And he did learn to read. Um, um, and then he, he tried to escape from his, his slave farm a few times. And, you know, he failed the first time. I think he was 15 or something, really young. And then at 20 managed to succeed. He ended up in uh, New York, which was a free state, which means that, you know, people, black people, people of color were allowed to just move around freely. He managed to escape because he used the papers that he forged papers that black sailors, free black sailors used at the time to travel. Right. And so he gets out of his farm. He ends up in New York. Uh, with his wife, he moves, I think, Massachusetts. But he starts giving speeches on abolitionism. And it was meant to be so literate and eloquent that like, s- slave owners would base their entire livelihood on the idea that people of colour are less human and less intelligent than white people would watch him speak and go, my whole life is a lie, and release their slaves then and there. But the more he'd do these speeches and the more he'd give away about where he came from and who he was, the more and more there was a worry that he was going to be like, Caught by a slave trader. Al, I don't know if you've seen the movie 12 Years a Slave. Yes, I have. Yeah, so yeah. you can be a free man, be caught and returned mm. either back to the farm that you originally ran away from or to a completely wrong farm with perhaps maybe even a way worse master, right? So he was, there was this big fear by, from his abolitionist allies. He's such a good speaker. Um, he's such a good contributor to the cause. He's such a great guy. The more he's revealing, there's a more likelihood he's going to get caught. So they sent him to Europe to do speeches there to try and raise money and raise support for the abolitionist cause. And he went to Ireland at first, found a lot of... He said it's the first time he ever felt he was treated as a human being, not a colour. Uh, and he became friends with, I think, the Irish nationalist, maybe James Joyce. I don't know if James Joyce came later. James, James Joyce was... Uh, yeah, it was not McConnell. Uh, no, I'm getting this. I'm, Do you know, a famous, Irish history. Yeah, yeah famous I, I, Irish I'm nationalist. Irish. I'm sure if you Googled Frederick Douglass, famous Irish nationalist, you've befriended, you'd find it. Forgive me for getting the name wrong. This is about Northeast history, not about Irish history. When and was this, mate? When, this when was, was in the about? 1800s, I think, early 1800s, right. maybe 1840. So, so way before so, the Civil War. Way I'm, I'm before the Civil War. Right, so, yeah. well, this is where the, the uh, comes in. So he, he goes back to, uh, he goes through to the UK and he does his speeches around the UK. Now, Newcastle was famous across the world for its abolitionist movement. It was um, a couple of Mormon sisters, Emily and Anna Richardson, who were part of the Richardson family. And the Richardsons were, they were huge. They'd done this not just for Frederick. They had William Wells Brown do a speech there as well. And crucially, what they did when Frederick and William Wells Brown came over, along with many other slaves, was they bought their freedom for them. They bought their freedom. They paid £150 to Frederick Douglass's owner. 
sent it to him so that he could return to America, do his speeches and create the conditions and have meetings with Abraham Lincoln that led to the Civil War. And this would have never happened so, if it wasn't for Tyneside. There is, there is Because I, I, I remember I, I looked into this when we talked about it um, after the first episode. And is it manumission papers called them to... Um, to, to buy his freedom. Yes, yeah, after, after something like that. I yeah, yeah, I did, I didn't, I'd heard the word before, but I, um, I wasn't really sure. Um, so now, there is a script somewhere, there's a piece of paper that says, £150 to buy the unadulterated freedom of Frederick Douglass. Well, you know all the, because the, the, the abolition, I mean, I talked briefly about um, how extremism has never been, I, I did a dissertation mm-hmm. about workers' movements in the northeast, East, uh, and the long and the short was extremists have never taken off, and we've always been kind of liberal with a, um, I think, do you think it's because we, we know we've, we've had so much, um, like, having it shoved up us as, like, small people up here, getting the kind of pooey end of the stick, we kind of naturally have a, a sympathy for people who aren't getting treated fairly? Yeah, I think it's that aspect. Uh, I think this moment aspect, again, like, where the next episode is on the saints of Christianity, and I do think Christianity and religion, for all they get grief today, I do think they can have a huge positive contribution to education and literacy high rates of literacy in the northeast in medieval times and pre-medieval times became from Cuthberts and Oswalds and yes. so on and so forth and um, the Chicago school in America which was a sociology based university that really thought about homelessness and really made some serious attempts to cure homelessness in their areas they were very much Christian lecturers and priests and so they're thinking about how to make a better world I believe it says it's Romans it's, it's Romans it's in in that Bible Proverb Romans, um, there's no point doing anything. It's something like I'm paraphrasing, but there's no point doing anything if, if it doesn't benefit the world around you, if it doesn't benefit the people around you. So I do think religion played a massive part, and I do think the Mormonism played a massive part. Um, and then I also think, yeah, like, I don't know, it's a bit chauvinistic, because, like, let's be honest, like, these are massive stories, right? And it's not just William Wells Brown and Frederick Douglass having his freedom bought for him. Um, on top of that, you have, I'd say, three other very important stories with the Northeast, four stories with the Northeast, particularly when it comes to slavery and civil rights. Uh, top of monument, Earl Grey stands. Um, the statue defenders defended him. The Black Lives Matter protesters seem to be protesting him I, in 2020. I, I remember reading that, yeah. And it's kind of weird because Earl Grey was the man who passed the abolition of slavery, the Great Reform Act of, I believe, 1832. Yeah. Yes, that as well as leading to universal suffrage for all... Um, all, 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 all non-property-owning men, it got rid of child labour, and it also abolished slavery within the confines of the British Empire. Now, a lot of people, what they would argue, and some historians I'm a huge, huge fan of, such as uh, Akala, uh, he would argue that it's not the greatest thing because, you know, the slave owners that were compensated because, um, as opposed to slaves, they were compens- the slave owners were compensated to end slavery. But I would again come back to Frederick Douglass's um, argument because he got himself in trouble, yeah. as did the Richardsons for buying his freedom because the more extreme abolitionists said, well, this is justifying the existence of the system. And he would always say, I'll unite with anyone to do right and no one to do wrong. And from that, I just think it's, it's a lot easier to say this is wrong and I'm going to boycott it than this is wrong and I'm actively going to stop it. Yeah, that is a difficult thing to unpick and Grey do. Because had a tough time, didn't he? Because um, he Grey had, had immense... He, he had, had to, to do a, Is it a Jack Charlton? It's Bobby Charlton who played for yeah, Man yeah. United. Yeah. So yeah, Jack Charlton resigned, got yeah. loads of grief and eventually just when he was managing Newcastle and went, well, I said I would be. I said I would do that. Ashton accident. I said yeah. I would manage. I said I would manage until they had a problem. They've got a problem with me now, so I've got to be on my way. And he just left. He walked out the door. 
Yeah. Uh, and simultaneously, that's what Earl Grey did. But he came back through a series of, I don't know exactly how he ended up back, and that's how he managed to push it through. Was that the first? Now, again, I mean, I, um, I remember doing this at O level. And why didn't they teach us? I mean, it was so dry. Nobody actually said, you see this gadget there on top of there? He was the bloke who pushed through. Was it the first? And uh, this country, any country, were we the first people to legislate against? The Yanks didn't do it. We did. Or did I think we were the first Western European the nation to yeah, do it. Yeah, all, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. the first, I mean... You know, I mean, you can't go in again. Like, if you read a call, and we have to give the balance argument here because, like, if you read a Carlos book, uh, I believe it's called Natives, it's all about yeah. the empire. Very interesting book, a great book. I very much enjoyed it. Um, uh, he argues that there was a financial incentive, uh, to us sort of abolishing slavery. Like, there was a, a first when there was the rebellion in Haiti, we were one of the yeah. worst to crack down on it, but then sort of we kind of backed out of Haiti and through sort of hook or crook. Eventually, it was like. Slavery was benefiting the French more than it was benefiting us, so there was apparently a strong financial aspect for Earl Grey to his. I'm not 100% sure, and these things happened years ago, nobody will ever maybe be 100% sure, there's, there's we never, don't have the records. There's a lot of different perceptions. Um, yeah, but I still think, you know, those three, uh, and particularly, there's two, 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 two other things I want to get to here. Um, like, basically, do we, we, like, there was um, more... Uh, it wasn't like William Wells Brown and um, uh, Frederick Douglass weren't the first to come. The first to come was a guy called Aloda Equiano. Uh, I couldn't that name. I remember because Aloda Equiano. I, I had to Google like the sound Aloda of it. Aloda Equiano. Right. And he was like an African slave uh, who in the 1700s, he basically he was in a slave plantation in America. Um, Again, he runs away, breaks away, comes to the UK, does speeches. But he also very good, gets a lot of welcome in the UK and was quite surprised at how the UK just sort of people there, normal people, common people, treat him as a, a person, not a colour. And he was showed around a coal mine in the northeast and he, and, he, and he developed such a love for the UK in general that he actually joined the British Navy. And he wrote, he wrote to Queen Victoria, I think it was at the time, maybe, maybe it was another queen or king. And he said, like, this is why slavery is wrong. And, like, you should repatriate the slaves. You know what I mean? When you say repatriation now, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a... Oh, you know, we don't want to talk about repatriation because that's well, talking about is, sending me back to India. But, like, back then, it's like, you know, these are slaves in horrible conditions and we're talking about repatriating them back to Africa and Sierra okay. Leone and places where they come from. And he actually captained a boat for the... Brit the Queen at the time, I think, agreed with him and made him an admiral of the British Army, a uh, British Navy, and he took boats of slaves back to Sierra he, Leone. Were they... Uh, right, because I... Um, obviously, I'm I'm not an expert in this, but my in my little head, there's things that like chime out, like um, the the Americans um, after the American War of Independence, um, I think it's Independence that the um, even though the Americans were fighting for freedom, there were free black Americans, freed slaves, fighting for the British Army in North America against Washington. And when the war ended, if I've got this right, um, the British kept to their bargain, I think, and the, the, the freed slaves who'd fought for the British army formed Liberia in Africa. That's where... That's where wow! Out, out of um, so, I mean, it was not a perfect time. It was a horrendous time. But little kind of um, shafts of light like that, hopefully, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, where um, the, the, kind of the Americans don't go on to that narrative. Like the... 
you know, we were always cast, I mean, rightly in many ways, but we're always cast as the villains, but nothing's ever straightforward. It's an odd one, because we're somewhere in the middle, it was the Portuguese that invented it. I have a joke about it that I do when I'm, I'm gigging in the continent where I'm like, oh, you know, Portuguese people are so cool, aren't they? Every Portuguese person I've met, they surf the highest waves, they smoke the, the strongest weed, they're proper chillers. They're such chillers, you forget they invented slavery. So it's like the Portuguese, the Spaniards really took it to a whole new height. Yeah. And then we took it to a whole new height and really brought in sort of strong manufacturing and incentives with some of the, the naval. Go out there, make your money, but we're taxing a bit of it, you know what I mean? But we'll subsidise your initial investment. And then from there, the Americans took it and proper Ford factory line the yeah, shit out yeah. of it do you know what I mean um, interestingly again uh, Frederick Douglass I, I just if you read you should read his books he has uh, three separate autobiographies and I just got a book recently called Frederick Douglass in England which gives a bit more of his uh, insights of, to his time in England uh, and we'll talk about that because that is astoundingly interesting for me anyway um, so this was the late 1800s actually I remember this now because I remember he lived for a little bit. He lived in Summerhill Grove on the West End. There's a blue plaque still to commemorate it. Is anywhere named after him? Uh, yeah. Not here. There should be. If you've got every state be. in America, yeah, there's a Frederick yeah. Douglass state in America. On top of that, if you go to um, like Kamala Harris's office in the White House, she has a bust of Frederick Douglass. She replaced the bust of Winston Churchill with Frederick Douglass. Maybe, and I think that is something that is... Maybe kicking in, yeah. But do you reckon you understood what we were talking about? What, the accent? Aye. Can you, can you imagine the one he... You know, he was a social chameleon, you know. He could just, he knew how to adapt to different people. He knew how to, apparently he's a very humorous man. William yeah. Wells Brown went on to be a comedian, a stand-up comedian in its early iteration. Like, coming from a slave background, I think that's astoundingly interesting. A slave but, became a stand-up. Yes. But these people were, for me, when I read Frederick Douglass's book, I see somebody who was almost like, well, the next episode we're going to talk about the saints. I see someone saintly. I see someone with a conscious understanding of the universe that simply is, I'm afraid, as much as I say all humans are the same. If I grew up in his conditions, I'd be a no. fucking dipshit. <laughs> I would not be achieving no. nothing. I wouldn't be going on to be no abolitionist. I would not be ex new to like make sure I get these kids to teach us to read and that's going to be the path out of slavery. I would have been dead by like 14, right? Like I see someone there that just can above and beyond was Just like somebody, from Jeanette, I don't know, something deep in their soul, born to succeed and born I, to change I, the I world. I agree with you. I mean, I think there's a... His nuance is phenomenal. Like, even when he talks about meeting Lincoln, he goes, emphatically, this is the black man's president. This is the first president to have ever shown any respect for our human rights and our life whatsoever. But simultaneously kicked off against him because he was... Firstly, wouldn't let black soldiers join the northern armies... And then when he did, he'd pay them less than the, uh, the white soldiers. Because what people forget about Lincoln is he's still like a white supremacist, right? Yeah. Like, even though you have to balance it. Like, he did. A, you, look, he, he ended slavery in America and sacrificed a hell of a lot of uh, American white men to do so against a lot of opposition. But he was a white supremacist. Like, in, in one of the addresses, I can't remember if it was at Gettysburg, he says, you know, uh, the Constitution says all men. All men, regardless of their intelligence levels, regardless of their savagery, all men are born equal. And he's saying, like, black men are more savage, black men are less intelligent than white men, but they are born equal according to our constitution. And maybe that was political rhetoric used to, you know, try and convince people who'd be less yeah. favourable towards the ideas. We will, will, only Abraham will ever know that. Do you know what I mean? Just like only he knows if he was a vampire hunter. But, like, <laughs> point being, like, 
It was on Star Trek as well. The <laughs> point being, like he, he, Frederick Douglass can see the positives, the negatives, and so on. He was particularly pissed off about getting paid less because he enlisted his sons into the uh, into the Northern Army. He enlisted his own sons in the Northern Army. That's how strongly that's he believed. A believer, yeah, yeah, that's how strongly yeah. he believed in the cause. Um, but he was clearly an incredibly intelligent man. But he actually he he didn't just live there. I mean, he lived he lived in Leases. And he lived, and I know it's late 1800s because it's only like 12, 15 years. I remember he lived just before, uh, just before St. James's Park was built. He lived in the shadows of St. James's, which kind of blows. Could have been a Toon fan. But I do think he might have got a bit less of a welcome had the Toon known. If we're talking about these accent differentials, had the Toon known that he was a committed teetotalist. Hated drinking. Oh. He was very again. He had this nuance. Been, so he, he said, "Hiding the chain." Um, at Christmas, they let us all drink. They gave us beer and this, yeah. that, and the other. And we always look forward to Christmas, and and we'd always have a great time at Christmas, and we'd thank our masters for Christmas. And this is how they kept us in chains. And again, coming back to Game of Thrones link, Tyrion Lannister says in Game of Thrones, "Slaves learn to love their chains." And one of the most insightful parts of Frederick Douglass's autobiography, which I think blows my mind. And I think it's such an insight and kind of, again, like if you're talking about historiography, is he said that when him and groups of slaves were on walks to say they had to go to another farm, it's a little bit, yeah. a few miles away or whatever, and they bumped into other groups of slaves from another farm, they would argue and sometimes get in fights, fisticuffs fights over who had the kinder master and whose master fed them better and treat them better. And he was the only one who seemed to, at least in his groups, be kind of aware that this is horribly, horribly wrong. Everything Loving here is, yeah, yeah absolutely God. just we're being brainwashed. And that was where he grew to hate alcohol. alcohol yeah. And part of, yeah. simultaneously, that sort of would have gone hand in hand with what the Mormons believed back then. So he would have found some friends here. But I don't know. I think if the common folk who raised the money, so what, like, you didn't like Brunel, do you know that? <laughs> so he was a religious bloke. Was a very, yeah, so very why, committed why Christian, why committed Christian. Been, um, I mean, I don't know about sainthood and stuff like that, but... Statue here or something like that. There what, is a blue what? plaque in this back alley yeah, where a lot of people shoot up heroin in the West End. You know, yeah, but... That's what, it. That's all we've got. They were going to make a... I they mean, were going to make a Frederick Douglass Square at the university, but then um, I don't know the pandemic happened and it just hopefully this conversation, this podcast can kickstart that conversation again because I think it's something we should be very proud of here you in the Northeast. Have it when Martin Luther King came to get his doctorate. Wouldn't that have been a great yes, chance? Yes, so getting back onto the... So it, it didn't just stop there and this is where it kind of disappoints me. I didn't disappoint me. History is history and things get lost to history uh, and the fact that we've rediscovered it, who knows, maybe we'll get some credit for it or whatever, helping spur the discussion on. Uh, that's what's important here not Frederick Freedom anyway <laughs> but like but, you know it kind of upsets me that it's forgotten really because it's such a huge huge thing that happened here in the northeast it's got such immense global ramifications nobody really knows about it, it I've, never, ne- I've never heard no, I'm not nobody ever it, but neither did I like I was reading it on Wikipedia yeah. you have to bear in mind I literally was there, and it literally said Frederick Douglass bought his freedom in Newcastle upon Tyne I was like I looked out my window I was like oh yeah yeah, yeah. my hood what the yeah, fuck yeah. How, how, how did they and then it, it didn't stop, right? You have before him, obviously, I say you have a Laura. You have him. You have William Wells Brown. There's probably more slaves that we don't know the names of that got their freedoms bought by this big Mormon institution that were really committed yeah. to such a beautiful cause. And then Earl Grand and slavery. And then on top of that, it just continues because in the, the, the 60s and 70s, you have Martin Luther King come over. And what people don't realize then is that when he come over, the only place he visited was London and Newcastle, right? Every other university in, in Smethwick, 
no less in Birmingham. They were engaging in policies of segregation, segregating uh, Sikh Asians from white people yeah, under the Tory yeah. council there. And that's why Malcolm X visited... Just, just run that back. They were... Engaging in a policy of segregation, trying to segregate Sikh Indians from the white population there. That's where, you know, the area in the where... 60s. In the 60s, 70s, yeah, that's where... Um, what's his name? Enoch Powell came from. Do you know what I mean? And that's where... Yeah, he's a Warwickshire. That's why yeah, yeah. Malcolm X went there uh, and encouraged him not to engage in segregation and said this is wrong and he visited there and had a visit with the Indian Sikhs there. Uh, but back then, like, there was racism starting to rise and Martin Luther King addressed that in his speech in Newcastle University. You see, I'm seeing some of the same things starting here in the UK but you have the chance to nip it in the bud. What people don't realise is people, all the other universities, all the other, a lot of high culture and class in the UK at the time had were fully against Martin Luther King. And I've been told of my granddad that it was, um, you know, they, 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 were, they thought so as a terrorist and a rabble rouser, but my granddad didn't provide much of a historical source. He never did. He just, no. he may have been told by his dad or whatever, yeah. or he may have lived through it himself. But I read a Guardian article from the time of the, of the speech where at the end of the speech, Martin Luther King puts his fist up calls for black power and the guardian referred it referred to that action as a call to violence and separatism amongst black communities in the uk and if the guardian are writing that in the 60s 70s Oh then God. probably I think you oh, can extrapolate Daily Mail, right? yeah, yeah that my granddad may yeah. have had a point and then if you also think about the fact that that's the only place he went London Newcastle you didn't go anywhere else did Martin Luther King well my, my fantasies me ADHD kicking in as well because uh, Martin Luther King is one of me you know, f- my favourite human beings. I, I I just love what he said. I love what he did. He I did. have a dream. That's the man. That's Jimmy Carter. Yeah, <laughs> different, different day impressions. That laugh is Jimmy Carter. <laughs> I have a dream. Yeah. Actually, it's more like um, Foghorn Leghorn. Hey, <laughs> Mark. Um, right. So we were cracking on about this. Now this tickled me that um, around about the same time. Jimi Hendrix had been taken on by Chaz Chandler of the Animals. He has. He and has. And he stayed in Chaz Chandler's flat. And he bust on Chillingham Road. And, and, he, and he was busking on Chilly Road. Now, is there any chance that Martin Luther King <laughs> got, got on the bus, right? Because just thinking, if you somebody's taken a photograph of their mate, some students, and you get a photograph of Martin Luther King walking past Jimi Hendrix outside the carpet <laughs> shop on Heaton Road... That would Outside be Outside the Northumberland be- Hussars, that, that would, would be beautiful. Oh, absolutely. Somebody once said as well, again, not related, that um, Kid Creole, from Kid Creole and the Coconuts, the 80s um, pop star, uh, after he retired from music, lived above a carpet shop on Heaton Road. I don't know if that's true. Neither, neither do I. But, I don't know um, to do with abolitionism, but... Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, well, not interesting. Coming back to it, I think we should maybe sort of close it. Because as well as that, uh, Edith B. Wells, she went to Sunderland. Uh, she was a civil rights activist, a black female, and she was invited to Sunderland by a female activist there and did speeches there um, to a good reception as well. So, you know, what, the Mackhams actually... Why is this not... Um, the Mackhams actually, in the 1800s, they uh, boycotted... Uh, they boycotted West Indian sugar because they knew it was made by slaves and would only get East Indian sugar to their shops. The Mackham shop owners, that's what they did. Um, and if them lot over there can realise that oh. just because somebody's born somewhere, they're, they're, they're not to be, you know, judged as lesser, then how are, how are the rest I? of us should be able you know, to. This is, this is actually, this is like, <clears throat> freaked me out a bit because why aren't kids up here 
This is such a part of our heritage. We're going to be so proud of it. Hopefully this podcast can kickstart a discussion around that and we can get these sorts of stories told in schools. Because he sounds like such a dude. Oh, he's such a dude. I've read all three of his autobiographies and each one just continues to astound me. Why is there not a Um, a statue to this bloke? Well, I should build a statue, but uh, nonetheless... Uh, I think I think outside next to Shearer's next right. to Shearer <laughs> oh, eh? Bobby Shearer yeah. Martin Luther because no but they weren't no, oh, Frederick Douglas but that's actually a thing that happened to me and we made I invite me mate up from uni and after the after the piss up you know after a few bottles of broom we're in the takeaway and we're in the takeaway and he's looking at this like six Geordie heroes on the wall right it's Gaza Cheryl Sting Shearer Jimmy Nail I'm pissed I'm minding my own business eating my pizza Looks like a pizza, football full of pizzas. Looks like it. Raul, why is Martin Luther King on this picture of Geordie Heroes? <laughs> and he's very lucky I knew the story. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. I have, I have no idea. Well, it's a, right. mis- a misprint or something. There should be, um, definitely should be more of that. Absolutely so. Um, but, but Maybe but, it's the new stand at St. James's. <laughs> the, the Frederick Douglass stand right, or the I... Richardson stand. It's not a bad idea, you know, say, Amanda. My dad, Jamie, if you're listening, uh, that has some potential. Uh, uh, just one thing I want to sort of round off this with is, uh, again, you can't, look, you can't deny, um, I don't want to be too chauvinistic, you can't deny that racism has existed here. I myself, first hand, have gone through a lot of it here. Uh, uh, I don't want to you know, pick up my own suffering or whatever, but like, let's not downplay a serious thing, you know, David Olusuga, the, the historian, he lived on a, a council estate here until uh, he was 14 and him and his family tragically had to move because mm. of the abuse they faced from National Front activists. It was, sounded really fucking horrible. Um, on top of that, um, the chains actually used to make, the chains used that were used to keep a lot of Equiano in suffrage and bondage. Not in suffrage, in bondage, not in suffrage, but in bondage. They uh, they were made in a factory in Gateshead and we can't escape these things. And um, do you know what it is really like uh, back then it would have been impossible and not sort of benefit even indirectly from slavery. Yeah. Because if you bought some rum, you bought some sugar, you um, yeah. work near a port. Chances, to it, wasn't it? Yeah, as yeah. people like existing just after the Qatar World Cup, uh, recording this podcast on equipment probably bought from Amazon with iPhones and Primark clothes. We can't really imagine what it is at all like where slight actions we make contribute to an yeah. unjust system that just enslaves people a million miles away. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but it's true, even the, even the most um, ardent activist is probably wearing a hat when they're out protesting that was made by child labour. That's the problem, how to unpick these global systems of uh, inequality and slavery and bondage uh, without completely appending them in starting a world war. But it's a difficult balance to reach. I think we're getting close to the end so what I will say is if you want to sign up the Patreon in the Patreon bonus episode this week what we're going to be talking about is a very interesting story about uh, Trinidadian legend Shaka Hislop and how he what people don't realise is that this activism doesn't stop there in the North East show races and the red card is started, an yeah, institution yeah. that started in the northeast, and it started because of Shaka Hislop, because of a somewhat unfortunate story, but then sort of, I think, turns from a tragic story to quite a happy story. But we'll be talking all about that in the Patreon episode. It's going to be 10 minutes. Sign up, patreon.com slash felt. Now, join the club. You get a membership card. You get access to 
all the episodes of this podcast first. You get access to more amazing stuff from Comic Space here in the Northeast. You can help build the future of Northeast comedy. Um, and on top of that, you get access to How Show Racism, the red card, started in the Northeast. And for £5 a month, you, know, you get video on demand, live tickets, prize draws, and loads more. And hey, you're not contributing to slavery anywhere. So that's a positive, isn't well, it? Well, you've blown my socks off because I, I have learned so much of there, mate. <laughs> so as your, as your co-podcast, Dave, there's such a word. Uh, thanks, mate. Really enjoyed that. I would honestly recommend, if you want to do any further reading, please go pick up uh, any of his autobiographies. Please pick up the new book that's just come out that's going to give us a bit more information about... Because do you know where about he Frederick actually... Douglas, yeah? Do you know where he did his speech? Where he got a rousing reception? Where it is today? Where? The Alchemist. The really? cocktail bar, the Alchemist on Grey Street. That is where Frederick Douglass's freedom was bought. And most importantly, we do have a regular stand-up gig there. Awesome. She's a big lass and a bonny lass and she likes phobia. In the Calhoun, she boot a field. And I wish, I wish, I wish, oh, I wish she was a That was a Feltnout production. To find out more, visit feltnout.co.uk.